McCown and Shannon with you. It's the uh, Bob McCown podcast on uh, Sirius XM and mm-hmm. uh, wherever you get your podcast from. Have a nice weekend, Shani. Yeah, it was good. It was, you know, simple. You know? And you're camped out in Edmonton now? I'm in Edmonton for the week. Yes, sir. Three hockey games this week. We have spent uh, perilously little time discussing um, the baseball season, which now actually is going to happen. And what? all all 162 games will be played. Of course, there will be 54 doubleheaders over the course of the year in order to make that happen. I'm kidding. Um, but we were, well, I was shocked at the news that they'd settled because it seemed to come from nowhere. Usually you get a hint that they're making progress, but there was very little progress made before all of a sudden, boom, we're done. We've got a season. So who better to talk to about it than um, our own Dan Shulman, the voice of the Blue Jays on uh, Sportsnet. And uh, he will join us to discuss not only the settlement of the disputes, but also the prospects for this uh, 19 or no 2022 season. Uh, we'll do that when we come back after these messages. And we are back and uh, continuing. McCowan, Shannon with you, along with uh, Dan Shulman, the voice of the Blue Jays, among other things on uh, Sportsnet. Well, finally, huh? Finally. <laughs> I know. It's a little bit stressful. So, uh, yes, there will be baseball. And, and I, you know, a week ago, if you had said to me, uh, Bob, you know, what are you hoping for? I just said, May 1st, I'll take it. Memorial Day, I'll take it. I, I didn't think... It, it was really ugly, right? And as we know, it's often really ugly between the owners and the players in baseball. The fact that it came together and that they somehow managed to salvage 162, I would have lost that bet, but I'm, I'm very happy this is the way it's worked out. I, I was surprised not only that they, they, they did that, but the speed at which they went from were nowhere close to done was, was it misleading or was it, did somebody just decide, all right, enough of this? I wonder if maybe the owner's side, uh, you know, public opinion and, and whether that matters or not, only the people in the room can say, but there was so much anger about this and the fact that games might be missed. And, and I wonder if it was just the owners saying, you know what, guys, we got to do this. We got we got to find a way to meet them halfway. Like I, I looked at it kind of like, you know, Bob, say you're selling your house and Shannon's buying the house and you listed for two million and Shannon comes in and offers you a million. You know, if you go down from two million to one point nine nine, he's not going up very much. But it, you know, I I think finally the owners finally made a sizable move in their next to last or last offer after weeks and weeks and weeks of inactivity or or much smaller moves. And I think the players were willing to accept those gains. They didn't win everything they wanted to win, but I think they won enough or got enough back that they felt pretty good about it. But um, you know, we'll never know. But I'm wondering if just, you know, so many fans being so angry and so much else going on in the world that, you know, this 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 is not a good look for the sport. You know, and basketball's this and football's that. And um, they they had to find a way to settle it. And I'm 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 really grateful they did it. You know, who I'm most grateful for is all the people, the seasonal ballpark workers sure. at spring training facilities in Florida and Arizona and the 30 major league parks and the hotels and the bars and the Uber people and all that. Like so, thousands and thousands of people lost a lot of their livelihood over the last couple of years, yep. and depend on it. And and I'm really more than honestly more than anything, I, I'm really glad that uh, all of those people are going to get a chance to make a living. Now, Dandy, were you one of those guys during the hundred days? Uh, you, you were following it for two hours every day. You were reading everything you could, or were you one of those guys saying, "I'm in when I'm in." I'm in when I'm in. Um, no, it. it I, I mean, between. Uh, you know, life and college basketball. I'm, I'm busy enough that I, I, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have had the time, even if I was one of those guys. And I think I know how crazy I am well enough to know that would have made me crazy. Um, you know, I, if news is going to break, I'll, I'll see it, right. You know, right. we'll all see it. We all have our go-to places, but um, I was not optimistic. Uh, you know, when so much time went on after the owners locked the players out and then they didn't even make a, an offer, I think, I, I think the number's 43 days after the lockout, it was 43 days until they made their first offer. That was hugely disappointing. So there was nothing to follow really for about six weeks. And, and then 
when they started going back and forth and back and forth again, until the last 48 hours, they weren't close. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would read a little bit about it. Uh, and there are some writers who do a great job covering it, but it's complicated stuff. And there are like 12 different issues going on. And every time you thought they solved one, a new issue came up. Well, that's going to be in the CBA now. That's part of the negotiation. So um, I, I was kind of frustrated, John. And I just said, you know what? I'm pretty sure when they settle this, it's uh, my phone will buzz. So we'll, yeah. we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. Because they're not asking you for your advice. On, no, uh, no on nor which, do I have any. <laughs> which one of those 12 terms do you really support? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm happy to be a, a bystander in all this. And just when they tell me there, there's going to be a game at a ballpark, I'll be there. <laughs> the economics aside, what are the issues that um, fans should be aware of? I mean, beyond the expansion of the playoffs, not as much as I guess one side wanted, but um, we're going to see what two more teams in the postseason. Two more teams. Yeah, I think the you know there was so much written about luxury tax and minimum salary, and I, I get all that. All those are very important things. But if I'm a Blue Jay fan, and, and many of the people who would you know, you know uh, subscribe to your podcast obviously would be Blue Jay fans, uh, two extra teams in the playoff, one per league, obviously, I think is a huge thing for the Blue Jays. Had that been in last year, the Blue Jays are in the playoffs. Uh, and there have been a lot of times where they have been that close, but haven't been able to get in. So I kind of like 12. I thought it was going to go to 14, but I kind of like 12. It feels like the sweet spot between letting good teams in and not letting too many teams in. It's still a smaller percentage of teams getting in than, um, than hockey or basketball have, obviously. The other thing that hasn't gotten much play at all is that starting next year, the schedule is radically different. There is much less a play within your own division and much more play with the national league. If you're, if, if we're talking from a blue Jay perspective, it is not a completely balanced schedule, but it is a more balanced schedule. Uh, and, and I think that's great. I know there have been a lot of years where the blue Jay sat there with 85 wins and some team in the American league central had 87. And there's just no question which team is better, but they play in a tougher division. So now if you're the Blue Jays, you're you're going to be playing a little bit less against the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Rays. And, and I think that's going to help you against teams in the American League Central and the American League West. The schedule being more balanced to me is a good thing for the Blue Jays starting in 2023. Uh, can you be more clear on that? Do you know the numbers? They go from 19 uh, to 16? I think I know the numbers. So let me where it'll be. So let's start with the National League. 15 teams in the National League. 15 times three is 45. Mm -hmm. But I think one team is designated as your natural rival. So you do a two and a two instead of a three. So I think it's 46 games against the National League. The Blue Jays' rival, I believe, initially will be the Phillies because they don't have a true natural rival. So that means if you're a Dodger fan, every year, either the Dodgers are coming to Toronto or the Blue Jays are going to L.A. And if they come this year, you're going there next year. So that's 46 against the National League. Um, I believe, actually, I know what it is. So 10 10 other teams in the American League, five in the Central, five in the West. You play a home and home with each of them. So that's six games against each of those teams. That's another 60. Now you're up to 106. Mm -hmm. That leaves 56 games. Four other teams in the American League East, you play 14 against each of them. So you play a three-game and a four-game series at home and a three-game and a four-game series uh, on the road against each of your teams. So w- what you have lost is five games against each team within your own division. Instead of playing 76 games within the American League East, you play 56. And I know people are going to say, but that helps the Yankees, the Rays, and the Red Sox just as, it, as much as it does the Blue Jays. That's true, but I think it helps the Blue Jays relative to the White Sox and the Tigers and the Astra and teams in the other divisions sure. because – we all know how tough the American League East is. And, of course, the, the increased National League games makes a ton of sense now that there's a universal DH, right? There's a universal DH. And this may be the first step, John, towards even more radical change. And it might take 10 or 15 years. Uh, you know, There may come a time where there's no such thing as the American League and the National League. It might be the Eastern League and the Western League. And maybe the Blue Jay, you know, maybe they go to 32 and they add Montreal and Charlotte. And maybe the Blue Jays are in a Northeast division. Uh, you know what I mean? And, and it's like the NBA, an East and a West, mm-hmm. um, or it's like the NHL, uh, where it's set up geographically. That that might happen. And, and, you know, I know this is hard for all of us who are a little bit older and traditionalists and that sort of thing. But, you know, we can remember before there were wild cards and before there was interleague play and all that. But, 
you know, the times they are a change in and whatever makes sense to attract younger fans is I think what they have to do. And, and I really like this. I didn't think this schedule change. It's not coming this year. It's coming next year, obviously, because the schedule had been uh, put together already for this year, but I didn't see this coming. I, I had no idea that this was even being considered. And um, I don't know if it was signed, sealed and delivered quickly and quietly early, or if it was at the 11th hour that they did this, but, but I like this. This means that if you love Mike Trout or if you love Mookie Betts or Vladimir Guerrero Jr., no matter where, what team you're a fan of, your team is going to play that guy's team every year. And he's going to come to your ballpark every second year. It's kind of like, um, uh, I mean, the NBA, you get a home and a home, a home and home every year. So, but you can't do that with baseball, but I, I think it's a step in the right direction. It surprised me, but I really like it. So, um, something you said there, Include me into this next point or question, if you will. The Montreal-Tampa Bay experiment is dead for the mm. moment, correct? Yeah. I'm not sure it was ever alive, but it's dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't uh, even add for the moment, Bob. Uh, I, it's not coming back, I don't yeah, think. I don't think so. Well, I don't disagree. But then again, you never know. Um, if Montreal got a team back, would you rather it was in the American League or the National League? American. I'd rather than – so it, it depends if we're talking about expansion or replacing a team, right? Are we going from Well, of course. If they replace a team, you don't have a choice. Right. So if we go from 30 to 32, uh, if – yeah, if they replace Tampa Bay, then, then it's easy to stick them in the American League East. But I think the, the precedent has been set when Houston was moved into the American League West with Texas. And, and again, this is all kind of – you know, just nibbling around the periphery of the stuff I was talking about before, eventually will it be set up totally geographically? Like if you get to 32 and you've got four eight-team divisions, could the Blue Jays be in there with a Montreal, Boston, New York, New York, Detroit, Cleveland? You know, you can go this way or you can go that way, whatever whatever makes sense. But I, I would like to see them in the American League East. I don't know if the Blue Jays would like that, though. It kind of now the other team in your country is kind of carving into your division. But well, that's one of the thing, reasons yeah. I ask, you know, yeah. because we, we went through those early years with the Blue Jays where the Expos continued to exist and it developed a fan base on for both leagues. Yeah. And we had a greater awareness of players in the National that's League true. and got that's a fair. chance to yeah. see them. Yeah, that's fair. Know? Yeah. If it's done geographically, obviously they would be in the same division. If it's not done geographically, then you've got freedom – uh, to do whatever you want. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, listen, in the last, whatever it is, 15 years, we've seen Milwaukee move from the American League to the National League. Mm-hmm. And then too. we've seen Houston move from the National League to the American League, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm not sure how they're going to do it. I remember those old days, you know, you guys do too, obviously. I think it was 97 was the first year of interleague play, if I'm not mistaken. And and, you know, Montreal often was in Toronto or vice versa on Canada Day. And how cool right. was that? Like, it was really cool. Now, maybe it wouldn't be cool anymore because we've seen it or done it. But I I think Blue Jay fans would love to see the Expos in twice. And I think the Expo fans would love to see the Blue Jays in twice. So my guess is if Montreal does get a team some way, somehow, that eventually, if not immediately, they would be in the in the Blue Jays division. The, the, the other thing you, you, you touched on, and it, and it twigged me to stuff that I remember when the Jays were starting to get good was how great the rivalry was with the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a lesser extent, Cleveland, because Cleveland just wasn't that good. Yeah. But when you think about regional rivalries, Cleveland and Detroit, yeah. you know, more, more so than Tampa. Yeah. Uh, and Tampa is a great team and they've been fun to watch. But Detroit Tigers, Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, you go yeah. to London. You you went to school in London. Yeah, yeah. I was right in the middle the, of it. The town is divided. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. there's Tiger bars and there's Blue Jay bars. So I will tell you something. You, you know, they're they're this. It's just an opinion, but I know it. I know it's true, and you guys know it's true too. The best rival the Blue Jays ever had was the Detroit Tigers in the 1980s. Better than any time period with the Red Sox, or better than any time period with the Yankees. That's how I feel anyways. I mean, feel free to to disagree with me, but you guys remember the great Tiger team in 84 that won 105 games and the Blue Jays were a distant second. And all of us who are old enough to remember will never forget the last week of the 1987 season, what happened that year. Doyle Alexander, right? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. And I mean, the Blue Jays were three and a half up with a week to go and couldn't get it done. Tony Fernandez got hurt. Ernie Witt got hurt. Manny Lee made an error, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, you're right. And, and I have on my computer, because I get very bored on flights, I have on my computer uh, a 32-team, a four, four divisions of eight, just because I, I get bored on flights. So I had Toronto, Montreal, New York, New York, Boston, Detroit, and then it gets a little, it gets a little trickier. And I had Cleveland, Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had Pittsburgh and Philly with like Baltimore, Washington, Atlanta, Charlotte, Tampa, Miami going down that way. Then you've got an easy Midwest, you know, the St. Louis, the Chicago's, Minnesota, Milwaukee, Kansas City, Texas, Houston. And then you got eight West Coast teams. Like it actually, I did it and I said, wow, this actually isn't as stupid as I thought it was going to look. Like this actually works. And and I I would love to see Detroit and Cleveland, but as you say, more so Detroit. I would love to see the Blue Jays and the Tigers play each other more for the people in Windsor, in London, in Chatham, in Sarnia. Like this is all, it's all great theater. Um, and and I hope that happens, but we're, we're a ways away from that. Like they've got to figure out, in my opinion, before they expand, they've got to figure out Tampa's ballpark situation and Oakland's ballpark situation. Then they decide if they're moving teams or expanding. I think they're both. I think they're doing both. They could. Yeah, they could move Tampa and Oakland to Vegas and Charlotte, and then they could add Montreal and Nashville. They could do both. You're right. But I I, I think within our lifetimes, there will be 32 teams and four, four eight-team divisions. No more American League and National League. That I don't know. That Not necessarily. Yeah, like, again, the NBA. So the NBA was the NBA and the ABA, and then they merged, right? And, yeah. and now it's the Eastern Conference and but, the Western but, Conference. But, I mean, like, there's a, it's like the American Conference and the National Conference and the National Football League. Right. You know? Yeah, and that, the AFL that, and the close, NFL merged. It'd be, close, it'd be closer like that, Bob. It would yeah, be closer like, like that. that. But as you say, because the DH is now universal, that right. was a necessary step. Mm-hmm. If they want to head in that direction, and 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 I think they do. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, you know, look at what they did in the minor leagues. They blew up the entire minor league system, and they made it now. Now, unfortunately, forty-two affiliated teams are now independent league teams or lost their teams. But of the remaining hundred and twenty, they put them in geographically sensible locations. The travel is way easier. You know, a rare exception is that the Blue Jays have Vancouver, but that's obviously a Canada thing where Mm -hmm. there's a strong feeling both locally and nationally for the Blue Jays to have a Canadian minor league team. But if you look at the majority of minor league teams, they are now closer to their parent club, uh, closer to their lowest level team is closer to their Florida or Arizona complex because that's where players get promoted to. Um, it's, it's time zones, it's money, it's travel, it's wear and tear, it's money, it's money, it's money. You know, they're yeah. like, this is, th- this is how things work. So it, it, if you can have every team in your own division, be in your own time zone and have your game, like if you're Houston and Texas, a lot of your games are starting at nine o'clock local time when yeah. you play the angels and the A's and the Mariners, that's not good business. And, and so I think there are a lot of reasons why eventually there may be a push to, to really radically realign baseball. Well, the dilemma you face, though, um, is baseball is a game that historically has been slow to make dramatic change. And it is the oldest of all the sports in terms of the organizations. And the National League and American League setup has been in existence since day one, virtually. Mm-hmm. So um, making that change of a, essentially either moving a whole bunch of teams, you can still call it the American League and the National League, right. but move a bunch of teams Right. back and forth. But the elimination of those two designations, American national is going to be very difficult for people yeah. to accept. Well, I don't think they will. I don't think they'll ever change that. Bob. I don't think they will, but I tend but, to think they won't either. Yeah, and and so know. now you, now you go three quarters of the vote. I, I think, I think it would have to be three quarters of the owners would have to vote for it. If I'm not mistaken. I, I just think it's a possibility. I've had too many people who know too much say to me, this has been discussed, not now, but there are people who want to get this done because it makes too much sense. And, and I think as time goes on, tradition bit by bit gets steamrolled sometimes by business. And we've seen that interleague, wild card. Like 30 years ago, if anybody had said to us, wild card or interleague, we'd have scoffed and sneered. All three of us, I think, yes. would have. 
and they all came in. So I, I just think it, it shouldn't shock people if 10 years from, it's not happening tomorrow, but if 10 years from now, things look a lot different, I, I just think it's a possibility. Uh, Dan Shulman is with us. We'll take the break, come back and uh, chat a little more and um, a little more specifically about the Blue Jays. Back after these messages. McCown and Shannon and Dan Shulman of uh, Sportsnet is with us. Of course, play-by-play voice of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, when the free agent fracas took place prior to everything getting shut down. Um, most of us were focused on the loss of uh, Semyon as a second baseman. And do you replace him? Do you go, do you, do you go get a premium third baseman? And um, I don't think paid enough attention to the pitching staff, but clearly management paid a lot of attention to the pitching staff. And that's, almost exclusively where they have made their moves and decisions. Um, You've got seven or eight guys right now that you could designate as starting pitchers. I think we know who the five are going to be. Gaussman, Ryu, Barrios, Manoa, and Kikuchi, I would expect would be the top five, wouldn't you? Yes, agreed. Um, Where does that leave a guy like Pearson? Who, of whom they had great expectations and yeah. still do, and who pitched very well in the last month of last season. As a reliever. As a reliever, yes. I grant you. Yeah. So I think um, Charlie Montoyo has said, I believe, very recently, that they will stretch Nate Pearson out as a starter. Now, you always stretch one or two extra guys out as a starter in case one of your starters gets hurt, to, hurt in the spring so that you've got some insurance there. Um, a couple of things about Nate Pearson. He's never thrown like he didn't throw that much last year. He didn't throw that many innings. You can't send him out there for 180, 200 innings this year. I don't believe. And I don't think they will. But, you know, to stretch him out now to get him up to two, three innings in the next couple of weeks. Spring training is really short. It's not like these guys are getting up to six or seven innings down in Florida. Right. I know. So you're going to have some piggybacking. You might have a game and I'll just use Pearson as an example where you might have a game where Alec Manoa starts and goes four and Pearson comes in and pitches five and six or five, six, seven or something like mm-hmm. that. I think you're going to see a lot of that with teams at the beginning. I like the idea that they're stretching him out. I don't think it's a hundred percent certain he opens with the big club. If they really want him stretched out, if they really want to maximize the chances of him being a starting pitcher, he could start the year at Buffalo and yep. pitch for a month there in a very controlled environment uh, and then see how he does. The other option is you make him a reliever in the big league bullpen. So I think it could still go a number of ways. There's a lot more value in a starting pitcher than a reliever, and I think they want to give it every chance they can to make him a starter. I don't know if it's going to work. I think he can definitely have success as a reliever, as a, as a one-inning, you know, pitching in front of Romano, eighth-inning guy, something like that. But um, I think right now Pearson is – six or seven along with Ross mm-hmm. Stripling. You know, Stripling is a swing man, a versatile guy, got a rubber arm. He can do a lot of different things. And I think those are the two guys they'll make sure they can stretch out a little bit in the month of March. You you don't think that, I mean, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, he might be trade bait. Oh, you oh think? that's another possibility. Yes. You, you know, I mean, when you think of yep. what they what they have to improve on, I, I think we all agree it's either second or third. Yeah. Um. People are going to, there are some people are going to say Pearson has to be part of the deal. Yeah, I think that's possible. And and the most likely trade I think that would happen in is if they make a trade with Cleveland for Jose Ramirez, who is the absolute perfect guy for the Blue Jays needs. He can play both second or third. They'd put him at third. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you could have Biggio and Espinal platoon at second. He's a switch hitter, which means you get a left-handed bat up there against righties, you know, at the top, near the top of the order, probably in the two spot or something to break up. All the righties, he's a good fielder, he's a good runner, uh, he's a good guy, he wants to win, the whole deal. And and you're right, uh, it's not hard to put together, you, you know, uh, fun trade proposals for a guy like Jose Ramirez. And Pearson could definitely be in it. Alejandro Kirk could be in it. Lourdes Gurriel could be in it. Um, one of the top minor league players, uh, you know, whether it's a Jordan Groshans or an even higher prospect like Aureldis Martinez could be in it. I mean, if I'm if I'm the Guardians, uh, as they're now known, it, it I'm going to ask for the sun, the moon, and the stars mm-hmm. for Jose Ramirez. And 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 you're right, John. It, it's it it wouldn't stun me if he's traded. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it it wouldn't stun me if he's traded. But if he is traded, it better be for a guy who's really he better be part of a package for a guy who's really good. Right. Well, you never know the validity of rumors, but um, a well-respected journalist 
indicated that Cleveland's ask for Ramirez right now is um, over the moon high. Yeah. As and, it yeah. Yeah. Which raises then the question, um, are they really desperate in Cleveland to make that move and eliminate some payroll? Are they more inclined or would the Blue Jays be willing to wait until trade deadline right. in order to make that move? Yeah, which I think they would. The problem with waiting towards the trade deadline is it might cost you a few games between now and then uh, to do that. Ramirez, I, if I'm not mistaken, is signed for this year and next. And I think it's somewhere around $12 million a season, which in today's baseball is an, enormous bargain, uh, an enormous bargain, obviously. So um, the only thing Cleveland knows for sure is Jose Ramirez is not going to be with them in 2024. And the longer they wait, the less they will get for him. Um, so they can wait if they want. And if they wait till July, you're still trading him to somebody for two runs at a, at a postseason berth. Um, but if he's not traded now, he's gone July 31st, hundred percent. So, and at that point in time, you might have three, four, five teams looking at him then who aren't looking at him now, you know, cause guys get hurt and priorities ch- and needs change and all that. Um, it's easy to see that the Blue Jays and Cleveland have a fit, that the Blue Jays need is what Cleveland has and that the Blue Jays farm system can can help the Guardians, but it takes two to tango, so we don't know if a deal is going to By the way, you've said Guardians really quickly, very well. You've been, I've been practicing. Practi- I've been practicing. It's going <laughs> to, yeah, yeah it, it's it's the right thing to do, and and but it is, it, it's not, I'll stumble on the air. You know, I mean, I've got 55 years of muscle memory, so, uh, but uh, I've been working on it. Good. Um, is there another infielder out there that you think fans should be aware of and keep an eye on if if we think that the Ramirez deal is difficult or unlikely? Sure. So it depends if we talk about third baseman, second baseman, and even I'll throw this out for fun, first baseman. Let's start with first base. They can go get a first baseman. But then in my mind, they got to move Laddie at least part-time back to third. I don't think that's going to happen. I wouldn't touch that for a million years. Right. Because if you get another first baseman, you've got two options. Uh, So one of them DHs and say, let's just use Freddie Freeman's name to make it easier. So you've got Freeman and Vladdy. One plays first and one DHs every day. Now you can't have George Springer DH at all. Mm -hmm. And George Springer is going to need to DH. You can't have Teoscar Hernandez DH. Can't have Lourdes Gurriel DH, et cetera, et cetera. You want to get Bo off his feet for a day. So then what do you do? Okay, well, you start having Vladdy take more ground balls at third and you see how he does there. But, but if it doesn't work, you're stuck. You're like, you're stuck. So I don't think they're going to do it. And, and it's too bad because Freddie Freeman or Matt Olson would be phenomenal fits for the Blue Jays, except defensively. It, 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 it's tough for me to envision it working. So um, Oakland is in a fire sale mode. They have Matt Chapman, who is as good a defensive third baseman as there is. The problem... He is a low-average, high-strikeout, right-handed batter, and that's not going to help them offensively. It's going to help them defensively, but I think you'd have to give up a lot to get him, and I'm, I, I don't know, unless he you know, turns back into the guy he was three, four years ago, I, I don't know how much sense it makes. Um, they've been linked to Jonathan VR, who they had a couple of years ago, who played extremely poorly for them in his month with the Blue Jays, like extremely poorly. But he's better than that. He's not great. He's an average player. He's a switch hitter. He's got decent speed. He can play two or three different spots. Um, Cattell Marte is out there on the market still, I believe, and he's a switch hitter. He can play center and second more than third. I think they need to find a third baseman because I think Kevin Biggio is a better second baseman than a third baseman. And I think that those who have written off Kevin Biggio um, I think it's a little premature. I think he's going to play on this team. Um, Espinal has proven he can play third and he can also play second for sure. So I don't need, think they need to back themselves into a corner and only look at third baseman, but I think it would be uh, prefer, uh, you know, preferential for them to get a third baseman rather than a second baseman. There aren't that many out there. If you look at the 30 teams and who their starting third baseman is or what's out there, there aren't a ton of, aren't a ton of options that really fit. I, I don't think a star is coming in. I think a serviceable player is coming in and that you might see that player, Biggio and Espinal, kind of rotate between second and third. 
Yeah, I have no, I don't know about you. I have no issue with uh, Biggio and Espinal getting playing time and significant playing time. Um, and I had the opportunity, I mentioned this to John before we, we got on, Sportsnet showed um, a string of those 30-minute games on, Jason I, on the 30, weekend. Yeah. Jason yeah. 30, yeah. And I caught it by accident flipping around and stayed You were with sounding very good, while. though, Dan. Very oh, well, thank good. you. <laughs> you but I'll tell you, you know, I, I'd almost forgotten. I, I looked at that lineup cool. from, I guess it was September of last year, and I went, holy cow. Like, this is a really, really solid lineup. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, you, you, want, you would like to see Semyon um, in that lineup. And taking him out is going to mean something. But I'm not sure it means that much. Um, you know, you, you, gotta, you, you hopefully have a center fielder who plays every day uh, that's and, and stays part. healthy. Yeah. And that's a big plus. Big part of it, yeah. Um, you have more experience and you hope that the, the young players continue to grow and get a little bit better here and there. Um, the defense is okay. I don't think it, it's not top of the food chain, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. um, Biggio and Espinal, I think, deserve to get some playing time. But I'll tell you, the one guy the, I, where I disagree with you is I wouldn't be as reluctant to move Guerrero to third as you would be. The only reason I'm really reluctant is... If you're moving him to third, it's because you've committed to somebody at first. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work, then what do you do? Then you don't have anywhere to go except those two guys play first in DH, and then you've lost your flexibility in the DH spot. That, that, that's the only reason. It, it's, I think you could do it on an occasional basis, but I think if you're getting Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman, you're saying Vladdy's going to third a lot. Whether that means 60 times or 80 times or 100 times, I, I don't know. And what if a month into the season, it's it's just not working? You don't, you can't fix that puzzle. Uh, that that that's my concern. But don't you? I mean, aren't you Shapiro and and Adkins sitting there saying, okay, we have to replace 45 home runs and 125 RBIs? How are we going to do that? Yeah, I mean that, which which speaks to. Uh, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't do it, but it, it which speaks to going out and and getting a Freddie Freeman. Yeah, well, Freeman and Olson may be good enough that they're exceptions to the rule. Like, I don't think you're going out and getting an average first baseman. You're not doing that. No, uh, unless that guy can also play third or something like that, and those guys exist. But I, I hear what you're saying. It, it's unbelievably tantalizing to consider Freddie Freeman or Matt Olson in this lineup. They are great players. And they are left-handed batters. And, and I think that matters a little bit. I think they're the element of sameness that exists in the Blue Jay lineup. If it can be uh, helped, I think it should be helped. But you don't want to get a bad left-handed batter. You got to get, or, or switch it or whatever. You, you, you got to get somebody good. Going out and getting a bad left-handed batter to hit eighth mm -hmm. does, not, does not help the situation. You need a good enough guy to hit up at the top. And, and you know, that this became a story kind of late last year. As great as the overall offensive numbers were for the Blue Jays, they struggled mightily, like one of the worst teams in baseball, late in close games. And I believe that's because late in close games, obviously you're facing the best relievers the other teams have. And given that the Blue Jays lineup was almost entirely right-handed, you're yeah. seeing right-handed relievers almost all of the time. So when you're seeing hard-throwing right-handed relievers, and those guys all have sliders too, when you're seeing the best the other team has to offer out of their bullpen, the Blue Jays really struggled. And I think the way to combat that is to get a good left-handed batter or switch hitter uh, to hit up near the top of the lineup. And it's not just that. It's not just a lefty or a switch hitter. Also, it's a guy who has a different style. And, and you know, to get back to Biggio a little bit, people forget how useful he was two years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, how he hit for a decent average. But he got on base a ton. Uh, he walked popped some walked runs. A ton. He ran the bases great. And, and even if Kevin Biggio is your 10th guy and he plays four times a week and he plays at second and right at third, fine. But I think having him and one other guy, one other solid left-handed batter or switch hitter in the lineup, I think takes away a lot of the sameness that, that hampered the Blue Jays at times last year. I couldn't agree with you more. And Espinal's a contact hitter who hit 300. Um, you know, not a lot of power, almost none, really. Decent glove at third base. Um, one of those guys that you can put almost anywhere, and and he'll give you something. 
Yeah. The, uh, the analytics. I just don't people, know if he can play every day. Right. The analytics people think Espinal, I don't mean Blue Jays analytics people. I mean, go to any analytics website, think that there was some good luck involved with Espinal, that there Could was be. Some, found some holes and stuff like that. And that's fine. Um, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with it. But if Biggio got three to 400 at bats and Espinal got 300 at bats, you know, Biggio struggles with velocity more than most people. So you could see Biggio in there against a soft tossing left-hander and then see Espinal in there the next day against a hard throwing right-hander. And I'm good with that. It's not just lefty righty. It's what kind of pitchers and pitches do these guys hit? If you can take away the 150 at bats where Biggio is really going to have trouble and take away the 150 at bats where Espinal is really going to have trouble, you make each of them better by putting them in a better position to succeed. But there, there's there's somebody that's going to be on this team. I think we'd all agree that's not on this team right now. Like the, an infielder is coming, whether mm-hmm. it's by trade or or signing, I don't know. But he's coming, and he's he's probably coming pretty soon. Well, and I, w- I want to address one of John's points because you know John made the point that many people have of you know you're trying to replace Semyon and forty what seven home runs and yeah a hundred plus RBIs. The truth of the matter is you can't. Yeah. That can't be no, done. But you got to come close, though, Bob. Well, not you not have to come maybe, close. Maybe you do, um, but well, but that's that that is an a, that that you're striving for something at the very very top of the food chain. Right. Is the and is I mean, the and there's another factor here, Danny. Just I'm sorry. Just, is, the, is is the expression "perfect is the enemy of good" or something like that? Like if you chase perfect, I, I understand what you're saying, John. But if 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 that guy doesn't exist, then you 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 get the best guy to fit your team's needs. And, you know, like Bob was saying, you hope Springer's healthier for more. I happen to think there's more in Bo and Vladdy. I, I do. So uh, do I. Not just in terms of raw numbers, but also some situational stuff. What if Lourdes Gurriel ever had five good months, never mind six, instead of two or three good months? I mean, his hot is as hot as anybody out there. Um what if Danny Jansen of, and these are all what ifs, what if Danny sure. Jansen of September is the guy, you know? So I think you're looking at piecing together what you lost from Simeon in a variety of ways. Um, and if you get a third baseman, I think you put Biggio in a better situation to succeed. And in, in my mind, actually, the biggest reason they didn't make the playoffs last year was they had two or three stretches where the bullpen had unbelievably Awful. bad stretches, Awful. unbelievably bad stretches. And I, I think that's the area they really have to make sure they have shored things up. And I think they've taken steps in that direction, but I, I think a little more needs to happen there. Well, I'll give you one other piece of math. I would, if, if, if Springer can stay healthy and plays 155 games or whatever, there's a quarter to a third of Semyon's production that you could expect to get from Springer mm-hmm. just by being healthy. Don't mm-hmm. you think? Yeah, I, I think they'd take 140, but I was going to say point. 155 games. Yeah. Bob. You're giving him two. You're giving him two series off the whole season. He's a center fielder. He can, yeah, he, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I I think they would. You know, if they got 140, they'd be thrilled. But absolutely, if if he could add on, we're using old school numbers here. But if he could add on 15 homers and 40 RBI or whatever, but yeah, sure. They're, they're going to, I think they're going to score enough. I think what they're looking to be is a little bit more well-rounded of a team. And I think if the, if, if the defense is a little better, that helps. If the lineup is a little more balanced, that helps. And when you mean balanced more as much from the left side as the right, correct? Well, not as much, but a little bit more. And again, it's okay. not just left, right. It's taking away that element of sameness. Can they, right. can they go out and get a guy who's going to Take, take some walks and foul off pitches. And I think if I'm a right-handed pitcher with a good slider, sometimes I see all those four or five, maybe Vladdy's an exception, but you see all the other guys and you're just pitching all of them the same way. They're all like the same guys sometimes. They're all very talented. But um, I, I, it felt to me like there were a lot of times where, again, late in games, power right-handed relievers gave them trouble. And you know what's funny? The, the, the soft tossing lefty starter with the change up, the slop down, a little cutter in, a little change up down and away. And I think having a, a different looking guy in the lineup uh, in the middle just gets the pitcher a little bit out of sync sometimes too. But um, the bullpen's got to be better. We know that. And the rotation to me looks better. We don't know what Robbie Ray would have done. You, you know, we haven't talked, this is the first time we've said Robbie Ray's name the whole time. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. 
I don't know if Kevin Gosman is going to be what Robbie Ray was last year. I don't know if Kevin Gosman is going to be what Robbie Ray is this year, but Kevin Gosman is in effect a Robbie Ray place, uh, replacement. You've got a full year of Barrios. You didn't have that. You've got a full year of Manoa. You didn't have that. Ryu wasn't great last year. Even if he's the same this year, he doesn't have to be the ace anymore. And now you've got Kikuchi, who in my mind will be better than the combination of pitchers who filled the fifth spot in the rotation. Like there, this is a better, this is a very good rotation. So we've talked a lot about the offense and, and, and I get it, but you know, you started this Bob by saying almost everything they've done has been on the pitching side and they have really, in my mind, they have really improved the pitching. Tanner Roark started the year in the rotation last year. It didn't last two weeks, but he started the year in the rotation, but you know, True. they've had Jacob Waggispack coming up and making starts and Trent Thornton, has never really been able to get it going. You know, guys like that, to me, have been pushed further down the depth chart uh, with with some of the acquisitions that they've made in the offseason. Anthony K. Hatch. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I, be- I still believe in Hatch if he gets healthy. I don't know in what role, but I, I think Thomas Hatch still has a chance to, to be something. I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you. Hey, so, so let me ask you this. With this new collective bargaining agreement, with the way it's structured, and for a lot of people out there who their eyes glaze over when they hear the words, the, the initial CBA, does the Blue Jays window change because of this new CBA? I don't, I don't think so. So um, Guerrero, uh, Vladdy and Bo are both free agents after 25. That, doesn't, that hasn't changed. Right. So to me, not that the window closes then, but that's an obvious point where if you're a Blue Jay fan, you say, who knows Uh-oh. what will happen, right? Um, to me, the window has to be wide open now. Uh, you're not tiptoeing into it, and the Blue Jays aren't. They are right. They're spending a lot of money. But Guerrero, I think arbitration hearings are still to come in the next week or so because everything got pushed back and condensed. You know, Vladdy's going from 600000 He'll make $8 million or something this mm-hmm. year, and he'll make a lot more than that next year. Bo Bichette is eligible for arbitration next year. Uh, Jordan Romano next year. Like all of these guys are all going to start making more money. Um, so some of the money like to Hyunjin Ryu, Randall Gritchick, that's going to come off the books after next year as Vladdy and Bo get more expensive. But I, I look at the next four years all as equally the windows wide open, like mm-hmm. absolute push all your your chips into the middle of the table for the next four years and and try to win a world series or two um this has become an, a very exciting team a team that I enjoy watching um, as probably as much as as just about any of the blue Jay teams and you probably have to go back to the early 90s teams um to to match it in terms of well, maybe personal optimism, if no other reason. Uh, do you concur with that assessment, or is there any chance we are overrating this team? They're not perfect. They're not the best team in baseball, but they're, I think, objectively, they're in the top eight or so mm-hmm. in terms of talent. Um, when you combine that with how young some of their players are, you know, it's not like if Guerrero and Bichette were 34, you'd be saying, boy, they better get to this quickly. They're 23 and 22 or whatever they are. So they are objectively talented. Um, they should improve because so many of their young players, so many of their key players are young. It doesn't always happen. When the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, we all thought a dynasty was coming and, you know, never got back there. But, um, you know, ownership is spending uh, again objectively over the last two or three years, money is being spent. Springer, Gosman, Ryu, uh, Simeon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you use, I think you use the term likable, you know, that's a whole other thing, but they, they really are, you know, as somebody who's gotten a chance to be around them, not a ton the last couple of years because of COVID, but you know, when, when our director takes shots in the dugout and you see Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel, Vladimir Guerrero horsing around at the end of the dugout, mm-hmm. Uh, if that doesn't make you smile and want to watch the game, I, I don't know what does. Like they're, I agree. I yeah, agree. And, and, and and you know you don't want them to be silly at the expense of being focused on the game, but they're not. Right. And and I've said this on the air, and I feel this a ton. I bet you if you if you held a poll around the United States and said, "Who's your second favorite team?" 
I bet you the Blue Jays would be right up there. Like every okay, I'm a I'm a Colorado Rockies fan or I'm a Detroit Tigers fan or whatever. But if your team's not playing that night, you want to watch a baseball game. I think there's a pretty good chance you're watching the Blue Jays. Between- where are they? Where are they in the East, Danny? Where are they in the AL East? That's a good question. Um, I, I'm not going to put Boston up with the uh, Baltimore's Baltimore. I'm not going to put Boston up with the others, even though they had a very good last, uh, very good year last year. The Yankees aren't finished, so it's hard to say. Like normally, March 14th, we know what every team looks like. Yeah, we don't know what Carlos Correa is signing. You know, we don't know where Freddie Freeman is signing. So it's hard to say. Right now, I think the Blue Jays are better than the Yankees. I do. Tampa Bay is still legitimately good. Now, they're relying a ton on young pitching. Um, But their farm system is so good, and their next man up replace. Right now, I would have Jays and Rays in a horse race. Yankees a bit behind. Red Sox a bit behind them. But again, there are are a lot of moves, big moves coming in the next week. Yeah. Uh, last one from me. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this kid. I certainly haven't, but um, there's a lot of talk about Gabriel Gabriel Moreno. Yeah. Um, he's a baby, but he's got lots of talent. You think there's a chance he makes this team? Not out of spring, no. Um, but if he goes to AAA and keeps doing what he's doing, which has been unbelievable, he went from on nobody's radar to like the number six prospect in baseball in, in two years. Um, you know, it's one of those, it depends things. Uh, how does he do at AAA? How do Jansen, Kirk, McGuire, whoever's playing, uh, do at the major league level? You know, they've spotted Moreno in at third base a few times last year. I don't love it. Uh, I'm sure I could learn to love it, but I, I think a premium catcher is so hard to find. And I understand you can play 155 games at third and only 120 at behind the plate, but Apparently, he's so good defensively, too, and he takes charge behind the plate. I'd love to see him stay as a catcher unless there's a really good reason to move him. I don't think he breaks camp with the team. But if if things go a certain way, if the dominoes fall a certain way, I think we could see him this year. Okay, my, my last question is uh, totally off the board. Uh, tell me your your most fond experience of uh, Mike Krzyzewski night. Of, of the final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium? Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny. So where we do a game from at Duke, John, the only place that, that I work at, we're not down on the court, right. uh, what the three of us would call a gondola. Mm-hmm. They call the crow's nest up there. Now it's not, it's a small arena. So you're not as high up as you are for a hockey game, but you're kind of halfway up there. So once I get up to the perch, you're up in the perch, like grab your bottle of water, go pee before the game. Cause you ain't getting out once you, once you get up to the perch, um, and it was just the energy in the building before the game. I, all my notes were done. I was ready. And I, you kind of have to lean forward like this and look out to see the court. I kind of do the game, not standing, but like on the edge of my seat, you know, kind of in a bit of a crouch. And it was just the energy in the building as former, like Grant Hill walked in and Christian Leitner walked in and J.J. Redick walked in. And the students are on the far side of the arena from where I am. And they came in and they're, you know, they're called the Cameron crazies for a reason. Right. And, and I'm sure they were well hydrated by the time that they got into the arena <laughs> on Saturday. But it, it was just like it was like a build up to a rock concert. You know, it's like you're going to see the Beatles and, and you're just waiting for them to come out. Um, and there was it, it was just the energy. It, the game itself. So North Carolina spoiled the party. Right. They right. won the game. Yeah. But um you know, before the game, 99% of the talk wasn't about the game. And that is never the case with North Carolina and Duke. It is always about the game, but it, it shows you what kind of a career Mike Krzyzewski has had, that his retirement uh, overpowered the game a little bit. So I, I would say it's it wasn't one specific moment, John. It was just that that constant buzz and energy leading up to him walking out before the game. Yeah, it had me glued. I'll tell you that. I it was fun. I, 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 it was it was amazing to watch. Yeah. I remember, of course, I, I'm old enough to remember John Wooden. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one word or two word answer: Who wins the tournament? And then we're going Gonzaga or Arizona. How's that? All right. Well, that's three words, but that's, that's three okay. words. Ar- Arizona. But don't but don't blame me when they get knocked oh. out in the second round. Uh, <laughs> it's a crapshoot. I, I couldn't it pick one. It, it is. There's no obvious choice this year, is there? No. And it's one and done. It's not a four out of seven. I keep telling that. Yeah, that's right. I keep, I keep telling people that you, you lose once you go home, you go home. 
Dan Shulman. Thanks, pal. Great to see you. We'll uh, talk down the road. Uh, We'll come back and wrap it after these messages. Well, our thanks to Dan Shulman for uh, being with us. And um, no real agreement among the three of us as to which way the Blue Jays are going to go. And I'm not even sure they know right now. Well, I think, I mean, I think they know. I don't think they're telling anybody. And I, but I think they have two or three options based on the bodies that yeah. the, the bodies that uh, are going to be made available to them. I'm a little surprised that they, ha- they, you know, they've loaded up their pitching staff and they needed to. They lost two pretty good pitchers and they yeah. had a bullpen that was intermittently at least a mess last year and they've strengthened themselves well they've replaced the guys the starters they lost and they've strengthened their bullpen and i yeah. think significantly well i remember remember i think a lot of us have forgotten that the story of last season until july 1st was how abysmal they were in late games uh, how abysmal the bullpen was uh, and how many games did they lose in the bottom of the eighth or ninth uh, after taking the lead because of their bullpen? Uh, and and knowing how they knew they had to address that. And and again, they they made no they made no secret of addressing uh, getting more left-handed hitting. So I, I I'm not sure they're finished yet, but I think that that uh, that makes the most sense there. And and you guys are both right. You and Dan are both right. They're fun to watch. They are a bunch of kids having a good time. And even the veteran guys, like Springer, really caught. Uh, he got the fire too. So it's going to be a fun season. Well, you know, these are guys. People have to understand. These are guys that spend two hundred and twenty, thirty, forty days a year together, and a lot of time on the road. You know, remember, baseball players play twice as many games as basketball or hockey players. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get along. It's spending ugly. that much time together, it's that ugly. becomes problematic. Yeah, and these guys really seem to like each other. I mean, I don't. I, I think there are guys out there that don't fit in that jovial, let's have a few laughs and kick the snot out of somebody category. But you're not going to get 25 guys who all see the same thing the same way. No. No. But there are enough there that it's not a clique. It's big enough that it's a group. And they seem to inspire each other. And there, and there's enough of these guys that have come up together that it's, you know, when you they look at the Bichettes, other. the Bigios, the Guerreros, they know each other. And they, they've, they, they've, been, they've been friends since they were teenagers. And that's important, too. Um, well, spring training is going to start later on uh, this week. Spring training games will yeah. commence later on this week. And um, I can't wait. It is. There are signs of spring, and this is one of them. And uh, it's not that far away. Uh, For Shannon McCowan, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you then. Goodbye, everybody.